crowd of the news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. The heat wave that ravaged British Columbia ended about a week ago. And since then, we've seen the predictable results. Right now, there are more than 170 active fires in BC, 80 new ones in just the last two days. It is hard to imagine the scale of hundreds of fires burning at once. So maybe think of just one. Think of the one that hit the town that twice set the new record for highest temperature ever recorded in Canada. That town is now mostly gone. The monster, known as the Lytton Creek Wildfire, climbs mountains, moves quickly, and leaves a trail of devastation. What happened to Lytton on Wednesday night? Flames moved in fast and burned much of the village to the ground in minutes. There was nothing left downtown. There's maybe three houses standing downtown. It's not like we could, you know, go back to Lytton and, and resume life. Lytton, BC was the hottest place in Canada. Even before the heat wave, it advertised itself as Canada's hotspot. And now it's been burned to the ground. To make things worse, BC's public safety minister has admitted that there were gaps in emergency communication with some of the Lytton First Nation. So what does the aftermath of a heat wave and a forest fire look like? What does it look like to the people who have still not gotten a first-hand look at what remains of their homes and town? What does it look like to the First Nation leaders who are calling on the government to be accountable for what happened and when? And what does it look like for the government, who is now making a lot of promises? When the smoke clears in Lytton, of course, the province will be there to rebuild. But doesn't really have the trust of the people it's making them to. Finally, what does rebuilding a town ravaged by a forest fire look like right now in the hottest place in Canada? with the worst of climate change and more forest fires still to come. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Monica Gould is a reporter with City News and with News 1130 in Vancouver. She has been covering the heat wave, the fire, and the aftermath. Hi, Monica. Hi there. How's it going? It's going okay. Why don't um, you take me back, I guess, about a week ago? Uh, we last covered British Columbia. We talked to a climate scientist about the incredible record-breaking heat. And she said, it's not the heat, it's what likely comes after that. And here we are. Why don't you tell me what's been going on in BC uh, since then? Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen a lot of wildfires in the province in the last week or so. The most notable one is the one that has pretty much destroyed most of Lytton, uh, which is a smaller village here in BC. And this fire broke out a day after the village set the record for the hottest day ever recorded in Canada. It hit 49.5 degrees Celsius. 
And so obviously very dry conditions in the village, uh, very windy when this uh, fire broke out. And uh, it essentially spread very fast through the village. People had 10, 15 minutes to get out. Uh, some people leaving with the clothes on their backs. Um, so uh, been definitely a tough time for, for many people here in BC. Have they managed to figure out what started the fire and why it spread so quickly? Well, definitely one of the reasons it spread so quickly was that wind that I mentioned. Windy conditions are never good when we hear that in the forecast uh, during the summer and when we know that we are in wildfire season here in BC. Uh, it's always a little dangerous because the winds will just kind of blow and fan the flames sometimes into areas that it hasn't burned yet. And that appears to be sort of what happened here with the fire in Lytton. It was pretty windy when the fire broke out. In terms of what caused it, I mean, um, there is an investigation uh, that has begun. RCMP, uh, the BC Wildfire Service are involved in that. Uh, they are pretty tight-lipped for now, other than BC Wildfire Service uh, confirming that it believes the fire was human-caused. Now, that could mean a whole range of things. Uh, Human-caused essentially just means that it wasn't a thunderstorm, a lightning strike that caused or sparked the fire. Right. Uh, there's been quite a bit of speculation on social media and among people in Linton that a train that was going through might have sparked this fire. Mm. Obviously, with the investigation going, uh, we don't know that for sure yet. But yeah, until that investigation is complete... Uh, we won't, I don't think, have a definitive answer as to what sparked the fire. So the fire gets sparked however it starts. As you mentioned, because of the wind and it's dry, uh, it spreads like crazy. What happens to the people of Lytton? They're running out of there, as you mentioned, with the clothes on their backs. Um, where do they go? Did they all make it? Where are they now? We do know, unfortunately, two people didn't make it out of Lytton when the fire broke out. Uh, the BC Coroner Service discovered their bodies over the weekend when they were finally able to get into the village. For the rest of the people of Lytton, it does seem that most of them did get out. Um, the population of Lytton, the village of Lytton, is about 250. Um, however, there are hundreds of others who live in the area on uh, First Nations reserves. And so about a thousand people, more than a thousand people, were forced out of the area when this fire broke out. Lytton is um, sort of a rural area. There aren't a lot of towns uh, super close. Uh, the nearest ones are about an hour, two hour drive. So uh, people just headed to whichever direction they could on the main highway, Highway 1 uh, through Lytton. They essentially headed either north or south, whichever way they could escape. And um, many of these people are now in the towns that are closest to Lytton. So that includes Lillouette, Merritt, Chilliwack. Many people are, you know, displaced. Um, they've kind of scattered all throughout the region. Uh, there are stories of families, friends being separated just because of the way the fire broke out wherever people were. Um, so many people are now just trying to slowly uh, process what has happened and slowly put their lives back together. People talking about getting medication because they left without their medication. Uh, many people don't have their IDs, other important documents. Um, so, yeah, many of these folks are just uh, scattered throughout the region and just uh, solely trying to figure out where to go to from here. You went up to Merritt to talk to some of them, I guess. What is the sentiment up there about, first of all, what's happened to their town, but also, like, 
maybe about climate change in general and what brought these crazy record-breaking temperatures. And like, that's got to shake you living in a town when something like that happens. Yeah, climate change definitely came up in conversations that I had with uh, people who were forced out of Lytton. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that many think um, climate change was definitely a contributing factor to what's happened, especially with that heat wave, as you say, you know, earlier last week before the fire broke out, Lytton was already making headlines around the world even for setting these records for being the hottest place in Canada. I know the mayor, I actually spoke to him the morning of the fire before the fire broke out and he said he was getting calls practically every 15 minutes, uh, many times from media looking to talk to him about the fact that his town was setting these records in the hottest place in Canada. And there was almost, I don't want to say a lightheartedness to it, but there was this sort of, you know, breaking records. You know, we we talk about it all the time and there is this, um, you know, sort of lightness to it sometimes, but it very much drastically changed later that day when that fire broke out. It was no longer you know, uh, oh, just this hot record that was said, it was just completely life changing. You know, it started off with just this heat wave, setting new record after record day by day. And then all of a sudden, this fire just came out of nowhere and completely changed the story completely. I think for many, it is this, um, you're forced to face this reality that this could be a consequence of these record breaking hot temperatures. What are they saying or what are officials in the town saying, I guess, about uh, the government's response, both in terms of immediately in the emergency and now in the aftermath? Yeah, there's been quite a bit of chatter about that, especially from uh, some of the First Nations groups in the area. Some chiefs have come out and said that they felt they were not getting any support or help from the government. Uh, One chief has said that he wasn't really contacted by government officials until I think it was something like 16 hours later, and it was to talk about livestock and the animals, not about how his people were doing. Wow. Uh, One person I spoke to who was evacuated uh, said it was very uh, mismanaged, the evacuation. You know, people were driving to one area because they were told to go to that area, and then they got there, and RCMP, you know, had a road closed and told them, no, you're actually headed this way, so... You know, some of that may be understandable. Obviously, when an emergency breaks out, that's as sudden and uh, short notice as this one. Uh, Some miscommunication is to be expected. But uh, some people are slowly criticizing a bit of the handling of some some of the communications. And I think we'll be hearing more and more of that as time goes on, especially when they uh, start hopefully receiving some more support. Uh, Many evacuees have been encouraged to Uh, Register, obviously, with emergency operations centers. And uh, part of that uh, benefit of that is to be able to get some, um, you know, financial help for them, other sort of support. So it'll uh, we'll see how that sort of plays out in the days and weeks ahead. The big story will be back in just a minute. What has the B.C. government said, Um, I guess, first of all, maybe in response to that criticism, but mostly in terms of what they're going to do next with uh, a town that I guess is mostly destroyed and a thousand people displaced? The province has acknowledged that uh, it could have handled communications and other things better. 
Um, when it comes to sort of where we go from here, including potentially rebuilding uh, the, the village of Lytton, which, yeah, 90% of it uh, has been destroyed by this fire. You know, John Horgan, the premier here, uh, one of the first news conferences after the fire did hint at uh, a rebuild. And I know other politicians have talked about getting um, Lytton back up and running, so to speak. But I think... Uh, it's a little too soon to say. I think for many evacuees, you know, they're just still wrapping their head around what's happened. And um, many are still sorting out just the very essential basics, like where they're going to be living tonight, um, where they're going to be, you know, staying the next week. It'll take some more time before we really um, hear more talk about a full on rebuild, what that'll look like, uh, how, you know, who's going to pay for it. All that kind of stuff, I think, um, yeah, remains to be seen. Have the people of Lytton been able to go back, see what survived? Uh, I gather not a lot of the buildings did, but, you know, the stuff you mentioned, medication, passports, uh, family heirlooms, etc. So far, uh, people have not been able to go in. It's been uh, unsafe. Um, of course, this fire, a reminder, is still burning and, um, you know, at least 40 firefighters are battling it every single day with several helicopters uh, helping uh, from the sky. But um, there are plans in the works to get a tour bus for evacuees. Uh, it's set to happen on Friday. And the plan is they've, I think, been able to kind of carve out some sort of route through the community. And uh, the idea is that people will be able to see the damage firsthand. Um, I believe the plan is to have them stay in the bus. No one will be able to actually get out of the bus to mm. see it very close, but um, at least it'll give people a better sense of really what has happened to their community. Um, and I think a lot of them do already know. I mean, some of the people who evacuated left as they saw the flames on their house. They saw their own home on fire. Um, they were seeing other buildings on fire and um, just some heartbreaking pictures and videos have emerged on social media uh, showing neighborhoods just completely burned down, leveled, uh, torched cars in the area. Um, there's a picture that's really been circulating uh, showing the sort of downtown, so to speak, the main street, a uh, before and after shot. And, you know, the before you see, you know, a nice street with buildings and everything. And um, the after shot, it's just all gone. It's just uh, ash, char, uh, black, knit, black buildings, you know, barely buildings. Um, that's that pretty much remains. So, um, yeah, people will be able to get a chance to get a better look with their own eyes on Friday. But um, I think many are already sort of know what awaits them. I don't expect you to have um, an answer journalistically for this next question, but it's something that really fascinates me in a, in a slightly dark way. You know, when we talk about rebuilding this town, this town which was already, you know, billing itself as Canada's hotspot, as the hottest place in Canada, has now broken all temperature records and we're starting wildfire season and wildfire seasons are getting worse. Like, is this one of those things where, like, how can you actually rebuild this town here without risking this happening again next year or the year after? Yeah, I think that's something many people are wondering. And it's not just even in that area. You know, I'm in Vancouver, which is 
you know, hundreds of kilometers away from Lytton and from where many of these wildfires happen. And more and more, it feels like our summers, we go through streaks where it's pretty smoky because of the smoke that's coming from those wildfires. Um, so I think uh, there are these constant reminders of, uh, you know, the reality we're facing and just how some areas in BC and BC's interior are prone to wildfires. So, you know, any sort of rebuild will have to take into account the reality of where Lytton is located and how close some forests are. Um, you know, the sad part is I'm sure many are also now burned. So maybe that wildfire risk uh, is reduced in a hypothetical rebuild. Huh. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure some people might not even come back. You know, I think um, with many tragedies, we sometimes see people are forced out of their homes and, you know, they're forced to sort of um, get back on their feet somewhere else. And sometimes people don't come back because they've established, you know, a new life uh, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, it is possible. And I think there are some people who are determined to make it happen. Um, but I think a lot of uh, things will need to be taken into account. The last thing I want to ask you uh, is kind of, I left it till the end because it's kind of a reporter nerd question. Um, but you mentioned earlier that when you see, you know, record-breaking temperatures, that sometimes that kind of stuff can be light. And like I was a reporter for uh, quite some time and we all, everybody who's been a reporter knows about like writing the weather story, right? Like it's almost a joke, like, oh, it's going to be so cold or so hot. Um, and you pull the numbers and you ask people about it and haha, there's your record breaking story. You know, radio stations do weather challenges, right? Like, will we break the all time high? And it feels really strange to me to be having these conversations um, and, and kind of doing those stories when you're looking at those numbers and like, they feel apocalyptic to look at. And yet there's still this like, well, we got to do the weather story. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, um, it's I think we're kind of reaching these temperatures that, you know, it's really not light anymore. I mean, 49.5 is just really hard to fathom. And, you know, initially uh, when it Linton broke an earlier record a few days before that, I think it was sort of mid 40s. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, all right, you know, we're getting into hot territory, crazy. But yeah, once you kind of hit that 49.5, I think, you know, there is that seriousness to it. You know, that's, you know, it's crazy to imagine. And that's sort of life-threatening temperatures, really. I mean, here in Vancouver, uh, we had a heat wave and we're, we're learning that seniors who lived alone without air conditioning passed away because of that. So I think um, it's a big wake-up call that... You know, hot temperature is uh, really no joke, especially when we're reaching these temperatures that are record breaking is just a wake up call almost. Um, yeah, it's no joke. Monica, thanks so much for your reporting on this and sharing it with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Monica Gould of City News and News 1130. That was the big story for more from us, including the episode I mentioned about the heat wave. You can go to thebigstorypodcast.ca you can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. And you can email us, TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, all lowercase or all uppercase, doesn't really matter, at rci.rogers.com. Find us in your favorite podcast player. Like us, follow us, subscribe to us, whatever your favorite podcast player wants you to do. And remember, if you really like this podcast, tell a friend. That's how we grow. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. The news cycle these days can be relentless. 
Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency.